C. diff spores and more is brought to you in part by Rebiotics, Microbiota Restoration Therapy. Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to Seed of Scores and More. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Rebiotics, a faring pharmaceuticals company, for their generous support. You can learn more about their microbiome research and clinical trials at www.rebiotics, that's R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X dot com. Today, our guest is Sehil Khanna, MD, MBBS. Dr. Kana is an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Dr. Kana joins us today to discuss C. difficile antibiotics and investigational treatments. It's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Kana to the program today. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Kana. Hi, Nancy. Good afternoon. It's my pleasure to join and be able to talk to you. Well, we are so thankful that you're here. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here. And, you know, Dr. Kami, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment, um, can you introduce yourself to the global listeners? I'm a gastroenterologist uh, by profession and by training, and one of my special interests over the years has been evaluation and management of patients with Clostridium difficile infection. I got interested in this space about a decade ago in the year 2008 when I took care of some patients who were suffering from C. diff infection and then I started doing more research into it and we've done a lot of research over the years trying to figure out what the burden of the disease is, how much suffering is out there, how can we better refine the treatment paradigms and how can we better educate our patients to help uh, with C. diff infection. Okay, well, thank, we are so grateful that you did. And Dr. Kana, if you wouldn't mind taking some time and just refresh everyone's, um, a lot of people really don't understand still, and they don't have never heard of C. diff, so if you wouldn't mind taking this time to explain what is a C. diff infection. Nancy, that's a great point that you bring up. A lot of patients whom I see when I ask them about C. diff infection has actually suffered from this infection. They've never heard it before they got it. And all that's said and done, C. diff infection is the most common infection that's around in hospitals in the United States and perhaps in several parts of the world also. So C. difficile is a bacteria that's ubiquitous, meaning it's found everywhere. You can pick it up in hospitals, doctor's offices, grocery stores, airplane seats, everywhere. Usually, when you're healthy and you pick up or get exposed to this bacteria, you have enough good bacteria or healthy flora or healthy microbiome in your colon that the C. difficile cannot cause disease, cannot colonize, and will not make you sick. So we all get exposed to it every now and then, but we got enough defense in our colons. Now, due to certain risk factors, and the most common one is antibiotics. Antibiotics not only treat the infection that they're intended to, which is why they're life-saving drugs, but unfortunately, they're not specific. 
So they don't kill just the infection you're using them for. They also, unfortunately, kill good bacteria. Now, if your good bacteria are down and you pick up C. diff from your environment, the C. diff bacteria tends to grow, divide, multiply, and produce a toxin. It produces two toxins, toxin A and toxin B. These are the ones that can make somebody really sick. They get diarrhea. And this is way worse than most watery diarrhea or foodborne illnesses that people get because this diarrhea leads to debilitating abdominal pain. People get hospitalized and uh, suffer a lot from this. So it's an infection that's out there. It's very common. About 450,000 Americans suffer from C. diff infection every year. Unfortunately, about 29,000 Americans die from C. diff or its related complications every year. So these data are really mind-numbing from an infection which can actually be preventable and also can be early recognized if we're able to educate our patients, especially when we give them antibiotics, which is the biggest risk factor. There are other risk factors too, like age over 65, being in a hospital, undergoing surgery, having comorbid conditions like cancers, chemotherapies. So people who seek healthcare more than others are at a higher risk of getting C. diff infection. Thank you so much, Dr. Connor, for um, you covering all of those topics about what is a C. diff infection. Um, Dr. Connor, how do you contract a C. diff infection exactly? So the uh, the route is what we describe as fecal-oral. So C. diff as a spore exists in the environment, but it comes from other people or other living beings, including pets. So if there is a patient who has C. diff infection and uh, that person's uh, environment will be contaminated by the C. diff infection. So if I'm taking care of a patient who has a C. diff infection, uh, and I'm in that environment, and I have a risk factor such as antibiotics, the environment will be contaminated, contaminated and, and then there's fecal-oral spread, meaning that you touch a surface that has the C. diff, and then uh, if, if somebody doesn't wash their hands after touching the surface and your body gets contaminated, you ingest those pores, and that's how it's contracted. Um, the bacteria is out there everywhere. As I said earlier, usually when this cycle happens, you have enough good bacteria to fight against the C. diff. But at times, when your guards are down, the C. diff can cause uh, infection. Exactly. Thanks so much, Dr. Kana. And Dr. Kana, um, you brought up a good point uh, about the pets. Now, human can give uh, human beings can give the C. diff to pets. Pets can give the C. difficile to humans, more, more so the um, canine, the, the dogs, um, wouldn't it be, it would be uh, the paws to the mouth, but wouldn't it be a good idea to remove their um, being in the restroom at home while someone's being treated for a C. disinfection? I think so. I think if there is somebody who's being treated for a C. disinfection, it's very, very, very important to... Uh, have environmental cleaning and potentially environmental isolation if possible. Um, to give you an example, if we have a patient in the hospital who has C. diff infection, we keep them in what we call as contact isolation. They have a separate room, separate bathroom. Any healthcare provider who enters the room, um, gowns and uses gloves 
and we wash our hands before and after taking care of the patient. Now, you can't do all of that at home, but there are things that you can do at home. If possible, when you have an active C. disinfection, potentially use a separate bathroom. Now, that's not always possible. If it's not always possible, then at least using a bleach-based solution to clean bathroom surfaces, clean commonly touched surfaces, including uh, faucets and doorknobs. After every time somebody uses the bathroom, it gets, it, it's very, very important to do that. And then um, if pets can be isolated at that point, I think that's also important to make sure that your pet doesn't get sick and then you don't get it back from your, uh, from your pet because as we will discuss later on today, that there is a risk of getting C. diff coming back and you have to make sure that your environment does get clean to mitigate that risk of the C. diff coming back. Exactly. Thanks so much, Dr. Khanna. Um, Dr. Khanna, when if, um, if patients or individuals are experiencing diarrhea, 20, uh, uh, like three cases, three episodes of diarrhea within 24 hours, when should uh, a patient or an individual seek uh, medical attention and get tested for a C. diff infection? Um, so that's, that's important. I think it, it's very important for us to recognize that there are risk factors for C. diff. Risk factors include antibiotics, being in the hospital, being over the age of 65, having C. diff in the past. And then one needs to look at the clinical features of C. diff. So most common presentation of C. diff includes watery diarrhea, so three or more watery stools a day for one to two days in a row. Other features include abdominal pain. Sometimes people get a fever with that. Rarely people can get extremely dehydrated and uh, would need uh, intravenous fluids. But if there is anybody who has the risk factors for C. diff and is having the clinical features, a stool test is recommended at that instance. Um, and the stool tests that we have uh, these days are accurate to diagnose C. diff infection, presence of the clinical features and the risk factors. And the stool tests do have a very quick turnaround. Most places, the stool test would come back within hours of performing the stool test. So stool test is the cornerstone of uh, diagnosing C. diff infection in the presence of the symptoms for C. diff. Now, when somebody does not have the symptoms of C. diff, at that time, a stool test shouldn't be done because stool tests at times can be falsely positive also. So it's very important to put the clinical features and the risk factors in context of when one is undergoing uh, testing for uh, C. diff infection. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Khanna. At this time, we are already up to taking um, a moment out and pausing for a commercial break. Uh, a word from our, one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back and stay tuned after these messages, and thanks for joining us today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Join us on November 6th and 7th for the 7th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Doubletree Westport Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. To view the conference details and register online, visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org. Again, that's cdifffoundation.org. We look forward to meeting you in November. 
Rebiotics, a Faring Pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank you for joining us today. We have our guest here, Sehil Khanna, MD, MBBS. Dr. Khanna is an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Dr. Khanna joins us today to discuss the difficile antibiotics and investigational treatments. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Khanna. We welcome you back to the program. My pleasure to be here. Okay, wonderful. Well, before the break, you were discussing uh, what is C. difficile infections, and um, let's like go right into discussing uh, the treatments uh, that are available today and what's being used to treat C. diff. The treatment, initial treatment of C. diff infection is antibiotics. If somebody has an initial infection of C. difficile, uh, the treatment guidelines have recently changed, and that's very important both for patients and for healthcare providers to know. And the treatment guidelines have changed, and they're trying to disseminate them, but there are providers who may not be very well versed with the newer guidelines. So here's the change. If somebody has an initial infection and they're not in the ICU, maybe they are in the outpatient or even in the inpatient setting, the first-line treatment is either oral vancomycin or oral fidaxomycin for a 10-day course. Vancomycin is a four times a day regimen and fidaxomycin is a twice daily regimen. Metronidazole, also known as flagyl commonly, is no longer recommended as a first-line treatment. It can be used in certain circumstances of very mild C. diff when either vancomycin or fidaxomycin is not available. But for the most part, metronidazole is no longer recommended as a standalone treatment for C. diff infection. Now, uh, the treatment is about a 10-day course. However, it does take the antibiotics about three to five days 
uh, to work for the diarrhea to resolve. This is not a medicine that starts working the day you take the first dose and diarrhea resolves. It does not work like that. So it's very important for our listeners and our patients to know that it does take a little bit of time and it's very important for one to keep hydrated during that time, keep up with nutrition uh, until the antibiotics tend to work. So vancomycin or fidaxomycin are the treatments of choice. Metronidazole is out, no longer recommended as the first-line treatment for an initial infection. There are some other treatments that are out there, and we'll discuss them uh, in due course during this uh, radio show today. Thank you so much, Dr. Khanna. And Dr. Khanna, you know, uh, we understand that with C. difficile infections, uh, there is a high percentage rate that patients may get it back again, and we call those recurrences. So how often do people get a recurrent infection? After a first infection, the risk of recurrence is between 20 and 30%. And this is even in the absence of other risk factors for C. diff. The reason recurrence happens is because the antibiotics used to treat C. diff do not kill the spores completely. And also, most of the antibiotics used to treat C. diff kill healthy flora. So about 20 to 30% of times after the first infection, a recurrence happens. After a second infection, the risk of recurrence is about 40%. And after a third infection, the risk of recurrence is about 60%. What happens is patients feel better on the antibiotics. After they're done with the course, anywhere between a few days to stopping the antibiotics up to eight weeks, the risk of recurrence is there. Most of the recurrences happen within the first two weeks of stopping antibiotics. Okay. And so when a patient has a recurrence, do they, they call their primary, they call their treating physician, and do they get retested? Yes. So uh, it is very important for uh, patients to get tested at this time. The first principle is to make sure they're actually truly having diarrhea symptoms. And if they are having diarrhea, to do a stool test because there is a small chance, smaller chance, about 20-odd percent that patients would develop post-infection irritable bowel syndrome or even a smaller chance that another cause of diarrhea gets unwieldy. So it's important to get tested before the second round of treatment is prescribed. Okay, that's really important because that's a big question we receive from patients calling in is, should they be retested? When do they get retested? Do they need to be retested? So thanks for covering that. And if they're not having diarrhea symptoms, what? they should not be tested. That is also important. Okay, so when there when there's no diarrhea present, they should not be they should not go under treat. Uh, they shouldn't have a a retest. That is correct. Okay, okay. Well, what are the options to treat recurring infections? When somebody has the first recurrence, the treatments are still antibiotics. However, the guidelines have changed. Previously, the guidelines used to say, repeat the same treatment that was used the first time. But we're getting smarter now. We're saying if it didn't work the first time, it's probably not going to work the second time. So if you used metronidazole by any chance for the first infection, you should now use vancomycin. If you used vancomycin for a 10-day course, you should either use fidaxomycin or uh, a vancomycin taper regimen. And if fidaxomycin was used, it could be repeated or switched to vancomycin. So that's the treatment for a first recurrence. Now, if when somebody gets a second recurrence, it gets more challenging. And treatment options this time include either a vancomycin taper, so at least a seven-week taper where you start with a high dose, followed by twice-a-day regimen, followed by once a day, then you go every other day, then you go every third day. There are several regimens out there. 
Despite that, about half of people can recur. So at this juncture, the guidelines and societies do recommend considering microbial replacement therapies or fecal microbial transplantation or fecal transplant, as it's more commonly known, where you can give somebody good bacteria back. The way it's done is you treat patients with a course of antibiotics for about 10 days or so, bring their symptoms under uh, remission, and then there are several ways of getting somebody a microbial replacement therapy. Um, different ways include clinically doing via a colonoscopy. Less commonly, sometimes it's done via an upper endoscope. We don't do that here. There's very few places to do that. There are... Uh, Clinical trials that are available in this space for enema-based therapies and for capsule-based therapies, which can be entertained um, at this juncture. The other treatment that's out there to prevent future recurrences is a medication called bezlotuximab. Um, bezlotuximab is an FDA-approved agent, which, if given along with antibiotics for C. diff, and it's been tested for first episode or first recurrence, it helps prevent future recurrences by about 40%. So that's a general paradigm of uh, uh, treatment of patients with recurrent infections. Okay. Really good to know. Thank you so much. And Dr. Um, Connor, you had mentioned how the FMG is done. Who was who a candidate and where do the donors come from? So um, the way FMT is done, as I'd mentioned earlier, um, most commonly in this country done via colonoscopy. Some people do it other different ways also. And think about who's a candidate. So anybody who's had recurrent C. diff infection with three or more episodes can be considered to be a candidate for uh, fecal transplantation. There are some nuances there in terms of how often they've had infections. If they had infections five years apart, then those are considered to be new infections. But if infections keep happening in due course of time, those are considered as uh, recurrent infections. Um, patients who have had this should be able to stop other antibiotics that they're on uh, because if they're on another antibiotic, then we try a fecal transplantation, the other antibiotic can negate the effect. That's one of the exclusion criteria. Patients should be stable enough to be able to undergo some form of a procedure to uh, have the fecal transplant delivered or should be eligible for a trial. But these are the patients, three or more infections, able to stop other antibiotics, fit or healthy enough to undergo procedures such as a colonoscopy or be eligible for a clinical trial are the ones who would be eligible to uh, undergo fecal transplantation. Um, where do we get donors from? So um, donors are supposed to be healthy individuals who do not have microbiome-altering diseases. Now, there are several microbiome-altering diseases, such as being hospitalized, receiving antibiotics, having communicable diseases like uh, hepatitis or HIV, uh, obesity, diabetes, depression, anxiety, fatty liver disease, celiac disease, irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, cancers, chemotherapies, autoimmune diseases. You put all of these diseases together the vast majority of our population would not be eligible to be um, stool donors. So donors are volunteers. There are most places the donors do get some form of a reimbursement, but they do voluntarily donate stool. They undergo testing uh, in their blood for infections. They undergo testing in their stools for regular infections for multidrug-resistant organisms. And they also pass a long history questionnaire, which is much longer than the blood donation questionnaire, to make sure they don't have any communicable diseases, risk factors, or 
They don't have any micro-altering diseases. There are several places um, that have their own donor stool banks where we use standard donors. We've got one at our institution uh, where we have standard volunteer donors. We test them regularly, and we store their stool in a frozen facility. Some places do uh, patient-directed donors, and we also have that option for our patients where patients can choose a friend, family member, um, sibling, spouse, child to be uh, their donor, and uh, that's also available. Uh, there is a commercial stool bank uh, on the East Coast, uh, which has been operating for a few years, and there are some rules and regulations that the FDA is still working on on how to regulate commercial stool banks uh, from uh, f- about regarding selling uh, stool products. Okay. Well, Dr. Khanna, thanks so much for explaining all that. We are two minutes before our break. Um, and before we go to break, would you be able to explain and share with our global listeners, um, the, are there any clinical trials right now being monitored by the FDA and available and rolling uh, in lieu of an office FMT? Yeah, so there are uh, several clinical trials uh, going on right now of products that are considered to be standardized products in terms of how the product is developed and processed and identified and stored. There is a phase three clinical trial going on for a product called RBX2660, uh, which is an enema-based formulation. This product has shown to be promising in initial open label and a blinded study. There is a phase two trial going on for a capsule-based product um, from a company known as Finch Therapeutics. Uh, we don't have uh, data from that available as yet. And then there is another phase three trial going on for a lyophilized product, uh, which is C. difficile uh, treatment with spores from other bacteria in a capsule from Sirius Therapeutics uh, called SER109, uh, which is also in phase three clinical trials, and it had shown benefit in phase one, but not in phase two trials. So Enema-based therapy, RBX2660 by Rebiotics and Faring. Um, there is CP11 by Finch Therapeutics. There is uh, SCR109 by Ceres. And also, uh, there is a new study that's being started by Vedanta Biosciences uh, for one of their study, for one of their products, which is going to be in a placebo-controlled phase two study. So there are several trials that are out there for microbial replacement uh, therapies that are available. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Khan, for sharing that information. We're going to pause for a commercial break at this time, and stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To help support the C. diff foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. 
Rebiotics, a Faring Pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program and thanks for joining us today. We would like to welcome back our guest, Sehil Khanna, MD, MBDS. Dr. Khanna is an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota. Dr. Khanna joins us today to discuss the difficile antibiotics and investigational treatments. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today, Dr. Khanna. It's my pleasure. Well, thank you. Um, before break, you, we, you had been discussing uh, fecal microbiota transplants and candidates and the, um, the history. And would you mind discussing um, the FDA guidelines uh, and any updates that you may have? The FDA has been involved in this space at least uh, for about six years now um, and has been putting out some draft guidance uh, regarding management of C. diff infection. The FDA says that uh, microbial-based therapies or microbiome-based therapies should only be used uh, at enforcement discretion for C. diff infection but not for other indications. It can be used for recurrent uh, and refractory infection but a risk-benefit uh, should always be discussed uh, with the patients regarding this. The FDA also suggests that stool donors should be known to the patients or to the providers. The exciting news is that the FDA is holding a conference on November 4th uh, where uh, several experts uh, in the field and patients are also welcome uh, to to chime in uh, their opinion, uh, and they're trying to come up with uh, more regulations and hopefully a final guidance from the FDA on how microbiome-based therapies would be regulated. So we're really excited to do that, and it's so timely because the C. diff foundation uh, meeting is the same week, and I'm going to be going to both those meetings. It's going to be a C. diff week for me and for many others um, in the country and around the world. And the FDA is also going to come to the CDF Foundation meeting to give us more guidance. I did allude a little bit about 
safety. And I think it's very important to discuss with our patients the safety aspects of microbiome-based therapies. Um, some of our patients may be aware of this. There was an unfortunate incidence of two patients acquiring a multidrug-resistant organism uh, with microbial replacement. We don't have details of that. All we know is that the patients are immunocompromised. We don't know if that microbiome replacement therapy was done for C. diff or was done for a different indication. So more needs to be known about that. Um, but until then, we do need to discuss with our patients that there could put, be potential safety concerns and we should do everything and anything that we are able to to mitigate these uh, safety concerns uh, for patients. And that's where we're really hopeful that the FDA can guide us further as to what as we providers can do and what should we discuss with our patients so that we can provide them with the best available uh, therapies to help get rid of C. diff infection. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Khanna, for the information and updates. Really important information. And Dr. Khanna, are there any clinical trials right now um, in progress for C. diff prevention uh, that, you know, besides the C. diff um, the clinical trials that are in progress uh, that you had mentioned earlier. Right. So there, um, so there are uh, there are some trials, um, and my philosophy on this is, you will not get recurrent C diff infection if you don't get the initial infection. So what can we do to prevent people from getting an initial infection? Some studies have shown that if your body has an immune response against the C diff toxin you won't get the infection back. So the question arises, can you give your body an immune response even before you get C. diff so that you never get the C. diff infection? So there has been a large clinical trial of a C. diff vaccine, uh, uh, which is almost completing at this time. So hopefully we will have results in the next year or so where uh, about 15,000 patients have been enrolled are all, over, all over the world. And these are patients who are at risk for C. diff infection and they're getting a vaccine against C. diff and if this works, we could potentially vaccinate people who are at risk for C. diff infection and getting antibiotics and hopefully decrease the risk of even getting the first infection. So if you don't get the first infection, then you can't get the complications and you don't get the recurrent infection. So we're really excited about uh, the premise of this clinical trial. A company named Pfizer has been the one who's developing uh, this vaccine. And uh, let's hope we get some positive results from this. Absolutely. And Dr. Khanna, you um, touched on a really good topic, the antibiotics. Would you go over some uh, information with our global listeners about the use of antibiotics and what it treats and what it doesn't treat? Absolutely. So um, I think I would preface that with the fact that antibiotics are life-saving. If you look at all the advances in medical in the medical field over the last century, the one thing that has helped enhance human lifespan and quality of life and alleviate suffering more than anything else is antibiotics. So antibiotics are life-saving. Not very smart, though. So when patients do get antibiotics, maybe about 3%, roughly, give or take, could get C. diff infection in that range. Now, uh, antibiotics treat bacterial infection. They do not treat viral infection. They do not treat allergies. They do not treat parasitic infections. They do not treat uh, 
fungal infections, so antibiotics treat bacterial infections. That's very important for us to know, especially as we are going into the flu season and uh, a lot of people in the United States and all over the world get upper respiratory infection during the flu season. The vast majority of those and the vast majority of sinus infections are viral infections. They're not antibiotic needed. Um, the running joke in the medical community is that if you treat a viral sore throat, uh, with antibiotics, it gets better in seven days. If you don't treat with antibiotics, it gets better in a week. So, and antibiotics are not needed. It's very important when a patient is getting an antibiotic for a questionable infection, meaning that if you do not know for sure this is a bacterial infection, this could be viral infection, those antibiotics should be questioned and perhaps should not be taken in case there is not an active bacterial infection. There are some instances where antibiotics are used for prevention of infections, and there are some proven indications for preventions, like antibiotics right before a surgery. Those are indicated. Those should be taken. If somebody has a true infection, like a urine infection, a skin infection, um, a lung infection, pneumonia, or any infection in their body, antibiotics are life-saving, and those should be taken, but the unnecessary ones should be questioned. If somebody has an allergic sinusitis, allergic nose, um, antibiotics should not be used in that instance. The other aspect of antibiotics is there are several kinds of antibiotics. Now, there are hundreds of drugs, but you try to classify them into what we call as narrow-spectrum and broad-spectrum antibiotics. And the way you distinguish them is if you've got weed in a certain part of your backyard, you just treat that certain part of your backyard. You don't burn your entire backyard to get rid of weed in the certain part of your backyard. So you try to use narrow-spectrum antibiotics um, rather than broad-spectrum as much as possible. Or if you start with broad-spectrum, as soon as you know what organisms there, you narrow down your spectrum so that you're not causing collateral damage, not killing the rest of the microflora uh, in the colon as much as possible. And then use antibiotics for the lowest duration of time possible. So whatever the efficacy and the, is based on recommended guidelines, use it for that much of time. Don't use it indiscriminately for a long, long period of time. This has actually been studied and proven. There are several studies uh, of what we call as antibiotic stewardship. So all hospitals, a lot of hospitals now have dedicated teams who are what we call as antibiotic stewardship teams where they look at every patient who's getting antibiotics and make sure they're not getting inappropriate antibiotics, make sure they're not getting broad-spectrum antibiotics where they could be getting a narrow-spectrum antibiotic and make sure they're not getting it for longer duration of time than recommended. And those uh, interventions have shown a reduction in the risk of C. diff infection in those populations. So this is extremely important and providers should be advocating for our patients and patients should be their self-advocates in this situation also. So antibiotics, if needed, they're life-saving, please take them. If not needed, uh, avoid them. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Khanna. And Dr. Khanna, are there cultures available uh, for physicians out there uh, to check for bacterial infections? Uh, I know a lot of patients, they walk in there, they say, I have bronchitis, I need an antibiotic. And so I'm just, we're just wondering, are there any kind of cultures that can be done to confirm a bacterial infection? Both molecular testing, such as PCR-based testing, which are rapid tests, can be done. And then culture-based assays are also available to confirm bacterial infections. They're not always... Uh, uh, readily, you don't always readily have access to the 
fluid which is infected. At times, you observe if you're not able to get the fluid sample, if you are able to get the fluid sample or the sample from the tissue that could be infected, then yes, cultures are available. And at times, you are able to make a clinical diagnosis of bacterial versus viral infection based on the clinical presentation also. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Doctor, for explaining that. We are two minutes before we take a break. Um, and Doctor Kana, once a, a patient is diagnosed with a secret infection, they want to know. Um, they have been told that they will live with secret forever in their colon. Is this a fact or a myth? I would say this is a myth. Um, I don't think that patients would leave, live with C. diff in their colon forever. We think that when somebody gets rid of C. diff infection, you can see a, if you do a stool sample on somebody who recently had C. diff infection, they're not having diarrhea, you can see the presence of the bacterium, and the bacterium can be there for several weeks, but eventually um, it becomes negative and patients get rid of it. When you look at the colonization rates in the entire population, about 3% of the entire population could be colonized with C. diff infection or the C. diff bacterium. Um, but I would say that this would be a myth that the C. diff would live in them forever and they can never get rid of it. Um, once you do have C. diff and you get another antibiotic, you are at a risk of getting the C. diff again, but it doesn't mean that you would not be able to get rid of it. And that's where we've got all these wonderful treatments that are out there um, which uh, help get rid, uh, get rid of C. diff seal for people. Okay, well, thank you so much, Dr. Kana. And right now, we're going to pause for a commercial break from our sponsor, Rebiotics. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Join us on November 6th and 7th for the 7th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Doubletree Westport Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. To view the conference details and register online, visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org. Again, that's cdifffoundation.org. We look forward to meeting you in November. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, CDFacil prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Rebiotics, a faring pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. 
It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us today. Today our guest is Dr. Sehil Khanna, and he is here today discussing C. difficile antibiotics and investigational treatments. It's a pleasure to have you on the program today, Dr. Khanna. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. As we thank into the break, you. we're talking a little bit about C. difficile colonization. One of the points that I wanted to make on there is that if you have somebody who's colonized with C. diff infection, meaning they don't have the symptoms, but there is presence of the C. diff bacterium there, those patients should not be treated. Eventually, those patients will be able to get rid of the C. diff uh, bacterium by their healthy flora. But colonization should not be treated because of the fact that antibiotics that are used to treat C. difficile don't treat just the C. diff, they cause collateral damage also. So those patients uh, should not be treated. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And Dr. Carl, would you like to review the key points uh, for our global listeners to take away with them today? Yes. Um, So I think I'm just going to review a few of the key messages today. I think the first and the most important message is that C. difficile infection is very common. It's one of the most common infections that we see in hospitals. And we're also seeing that outside the hospitals also. The most common risk factor for C. diff infection is antibiotic exposure. Other risk factors are being in the hospital, having exposure to healthcare, um, and having other comorbid conditions like cancer, chemotherapy, and age over 65 is also a risk factor. When somebody has these risk factors, they can get exposed to C. diff infection and can get diarrhea. Stool test is the cornerstone of diagnosis for C. diff infection. It should be done in the presence of diarrhea, should not be done in the absence of consistent uh, diarrhea. When we look at management guidelines for C. diff, we look at them in terms of what do we do to treat the initial infection, what do we do to prevent recurrences, and then there is guidelines around antibiotic stewardship and hand washing. So initial infection should be managed with either vancomycin or fidaxomycin. Metronidazole is no longer recommended as first-line therapy. It may be used in mild infections if vancomycin or fidaxomycin are not available. Now, uh, for first recurrence, which can happen in about 20% of patients, you use something different than the first infection. So if you used vancomycin, you use a taper or fidaxomycin. If you used fidaxomycin, you switch to vancomycin or can repeat fidaxomycin. When somebody's had three or more episodes, the preferred treatment is a short course of antibiotics followed by microbial replacement therapies such as fecal transplantation. Now, fecal transplantation is available uh, clinically. There are donors, uh, which are humans, who donate stool. Donors need to be healthy, should be free of any medical conditions. There are FDA regulations regarding uh, uh, fecal transplantation, which uh, 
uh, hopefully will be finalized soon. There are also clinical trials that are available for microbial replacement therapies, which are um, in the works. These things help prevent future recurrences. Another FDA-approved therapy is called bezlotoximab, which has been studied, which is available as a one-time intravenous infusion to prevent uh, future C. difficile infections. So treat with antibiotics, have a strategy to prevent future recurrences. Some antibiotics work better than others for uh, future recurrences. In terms of uh, uh, antibiotic stewardship, antibiotics should be used when they're necessary. Antibiotics should not be used when they're not necessary. And viral infections should not be treated with antibiotics. When somebody does have C. diff infection, it's very important to wash their hands, Practice isolation of the toilet as much as possible. Use bleach wipes uh, to uh, prevent the spread to others. So this is an important infection. Patients suffer a lot from that. There are implications to quality of life. Um, Patients tend to get socially isolated. But in today's world, in 2019 and going forward, we have better antibiotics. We have better knowledge of our infection control, we have better antibiotic stewardship, and we have microbial replacement therapies that help cure C. difficile infection in up to 90% of patients um, after one or more of these uh, therapies. So those are my key points for today. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Khanna, for being here today with us. We thank you so much for sharing all the information you have with our global listeners on C. difficile more and are grateful for your dedication in gastroenterology, in healthcare, and infection prevention. We thank you so much. You're most welcome. It's my pleasure to be working in the field. Well, thank you. And at this time, the members of the CEGIS Foundation wish to acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health, the organizations and professionals researching and developing new products and ways to address a C. difficile infection in prevention, treatment, protecting the gut microbiome, clinical trials, diagnostics, and environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about C. difficile infection and recurrent infections, clinical trials in progress, and how to take part in a clinical study, please visit the CDIS Foundation's website, www.cdisfoundation.org. Help them to help you to help others. We wish to thank Pfizer for being a diamond sponsor of the 7th Annual International CDIS Conference and Health Expo, which is being hosted on November 6th and 7th at the Doubletree Westport Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. We are grateful for the international keynote speakers joining us for the two-day conference and the corporate sponsors and health and leaders in the CDIF community who will be providing data focused on CDIF, a leading healthcare-acquired infection, microbiome research, antibiotic stewardship, sepsis, clinical trials, environmental safety, and so much more. For more information and to register for the conference, please visit the CDIF Foundation's website. Don't delay as accommodations and available seating is now limited. We look forward to learning more together with you in November, which is just a month away. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from the C. diff infection and the many wellness draining and illnesses that are being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We'll be right back. 